Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. I was afraid I'd have to fight with Christy Blatchford. When she agreed to come onto Canada Land in 2015, it was after she'd slammed me in her National Post column. That happened right after I broke the biggest story of my life, the news that CBC's celebrity radio host, Gian Gameshi, was accused by four women of sexual misconduct. Christy Blatchford immediately accused me and the Toronto Star of bullying Gameshi, of trying to lynch him of McCarthyism. Those were the words that she used. Later, as more and more accusers came forward to accuse Gameshi of brutal acts of of non-consensual violence during sex, even as some of them went on the record, Blatchford did not take back what she had written. She did not apologize. And yet, she agreed to come on to my show. So yeah, I was expecting a fight. I, I figured that she was going to come into my studio and say all of those things about me right to my face and argue that they were all true. And Christy Blatchford was a force to be reckoned with. So I, I don't mind telling you that I was pretty worried about how I would do in that fight. But it never happened. As you'll hear, it turned out that Christy Blatchford 
had simply forgotten that she had said those things. It hadn't occurred to her to revisit them, much less apologize for them or defend them. They were just words in an old newspaper. They were yesterday's news. Christy Blatchford died from cancer at the beginning of this year. Her colleagues, who loved her, glorified her memory with gushing obits, eulogies, anecdotes. Her memorial overtook the mainstream press. Given the way that she'd responded to a similar media response to Jack Layton's death, I suspect that she would have hated that. The tributes hardly mentioned the notion that anybody might have felt differently about Christy Blatchford, and that left others to denounce her from the margins for her years of anti-queer coverage, anti-Indigenous coverage, and victim-blaming coverage. To the people who felt harmed by her articles, these were not just words in yesterday's newspaper. Christy Blatchford had one of the biggest soapboxes in Canada for decades, and she used it to repeatedly slam people who had no comparable platform from which to reply. They remember her for that. I remember her differently. I have that privilege. I knew her as a person, somebody I'd see walking her dog up my street, and I found her warm and honest and fun to talk to. And I have some vestigial sentimental attachment to the newsroom archetype that she embodied. The tough-as-nails, old-school broad with a heart of gold, a straight-shooting reporter who put her readers as she understood them, above everything else. Those are not just a bunch of cliches when you're talking about Blatch. She lived all of that. Anyhow, like the lady says at the end of Touch of Evil, what does it matter what you say about people? From 2015, after Gameshi, but before Me Too, here again is my only interview with the late Christy Blatchford. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Nancy Payne, Eliza Bettinger, Vinidra Vethiswaran, Sean Wilson, Laura Sinclair, Kat Zimmer, Stefan Lachance, and Alex. This is Alex of the Beguiling Books and Art in downtown Toronto. I support Canada Land because Jesse supports us. As a brick-and-mortar bookseller, I know both the value and the tenuousness of independent media in Canada. If we can't at least support one another, what chance do we have against the big guys? This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of 
getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Thank you very much for coming. My pleasure. And we do start with the, uh, always start with the disclosure if somebody is a supporter of the show. And Christy Blatchford, you're a supporter of Canada Land. I am. I was uh, turned on to Canada Land by my friend Mary McIntyre, who, with whom I run. And she's a supporter too, I believe. And uh, anyway, she just suggested that it was a good thing to have independent media criticism. And I agreed. So there you go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I have so much I want to ask you about, and there's so much of your work in your career that I want to discuss. And I hate to start off with something contentious, but I have to. I don't know how else to begin a conversation with you. Sure. Within hours of the Gameshi story that I wrote with Kevin Donovan in the Toronto Star coming yep. out, you had a response in the Post. It's weird. The language has changed. For me, it's just a column, right? You wrote a column. Yeah. In which you described him as a victim of bullying. Gameshi was a victim of bullying. You called our story a low watermark for journalism. You said he was being lynched by the press. You called, with specific reference, I think, to the, the story that Donovan and I put out there where we had four allegations of serious sexual assault or harassment. You said this is McCarthyism. And I'm not bringing this up because you hurt my feelings or I'm offended. No, no, of course. I understand that. Um, it's not about me. I just I, – what did you mean? That it's McCarthyism and that he was being lynched. Well, remember at the time, I mean, at, and for a very long time, I think even as the number of Gameshi's accusers grew, there were no names attached. And remember, I'm a court reporter. Um, so I believe in – mostly I'm a court reporter. And I really believe in the process of an accused person having the right to – face his accuser, to do it where there's rules that everybody understands, etc. But wherever the accusers get the protection of anonymity and the person doesn't really alarms me. And I do think it is a lynch mob mentality. So that's what concerned me. And also in the very beginning, I mean, as unappetizing as Gameshi's Facebook post was, I've covered an awful lot of he said, she should said things. Very, you know, I mean, what happens in bedrooms and between people is so bloody complicated, even when it's simple and fully consensual, that I think there's lots of shades of gray. So, uh, I mean, I was clearly wrong uh, in terms of the heft of the story. I mean, the story was pretty hefty, it turned out, and people did come forward. Uh, a couple of them did complaint to the police, launched, and we're going to have a trial pretty soon in the new year. So I think that's good. Anyway, I'm probably going on too long, but, but that's my instinctive gut reaction is when I see somebody being attacked anonymously, I am concerned. You feel that you were wrong? 
Yeah, of course I was wrong. I mean, I, I think I was proven wrong. Uh, I mean, when you say McCarthyism, I mean, we're talking about like the state turning against its own citizens, people smearing each other in the press, lives being ruined, the whole apparatus of the state with the you know acquiescence of journalists, uh, the Red Scare, uh, a witch hunt. You have a great advantage over me. I haven't read that story any more than I read any of my pieces after I wrote it. Yeah, no, that's a quote. You, you call it McCarthyism. Yeah. read me the quote. Okay, the headline is Jean Gameshi and other men vilified by anonymous accusers in the press. What we have here is another modern tale of bullying, another low watermark in journalism, and another man vilified by anonymous accusers. McCarthyism, anyone? I, I don't want to, like, flog a dead horse. I mean, you're saying that you were wrong now, but there, there was no correction or you've never walked that back. So I didn't know until just now that you felt any different than well, what you... Well, I, I mean, I, I wrote again about uh, Gameshi, and I, I think a couple of times more. So I, I think it was clear. I Believe me, I have no... Uh, no trepidation about admitting I'm wrong, um, but admitting an opinion is wrong is a very different thing than admitting that you got the facts wrong. Um, I thought that in few other later columns on this subject that it became apparent what I thought and why I thought it, and, and it's the very sort of thing I just talked to you about, uh, which is, you know, I'm a devotee of the criminal courts, of due process, of innocent until proven guilty, and of playing and of un- this all unfolding in a place where there are rules yeah. and, and checks and balances. And I think clearly McCarthyism is the wrong word um, for me to have used. I was wrong. All I can tell you is that, and I'm sure, or maybe you're not the same, but I, my hunch is that most of us don't Uber analyze quickly the next day or the next week each piece that we've written. I mean, it, it's just not the kind of business, in in my view or in my practice of it anyway, that lends itself to an awful lot of that. Yeah, I don't want to get super granular. I, I don't. I didn't know until now. I mean, because there are people who think that the what's happening now with women coming forward, many of them anonymously, and talking about men who you know they allege. Uh, abuse them in various ways. Some people do think that that's a witch hunt and that that's reminiscent of McCarthyism. Um, so I, I didn't know if you felt differently until just now. Well, in a general way, I don't walk it back. Uh-huh. In, a, in a general way, I think there is a tendency, and we saw it in the um, been raped, never reported hashtag, um, where women who never complained before, who never made formal complaints before, are suddenly now, and I appreciate the cathartic effects of disclosure, but I think it's a very different thing when we are to presume that all victims are telling the truth, all alleged victims are telling the truth, whether they're victims of, of alleged sexual assault or anything else, because the human condition is to lie and fudge and misremember and mislead. I don't mean they all do that, but I don't think there should be carved in stone the principle that any woman coming forward alleging sexual assault should be believed any more than anybody coming forward and alleging some sort of criminal misconduct should be automatically believed. Believe people lie. I've seen it. You know, I've seen people swear to tell the truth and lie their faces off. False allegations happen. I'm not aware, and maybe I just haven't found the story yet, I'm not aware of any story ever where somebody has faced multiple allegations. Um, and, you know, to make it analogous to the Gameshi case where some of the people didn't even know each other making allegations, that turned out to be some grand conspiracy. And it seems like people are terrified of false allegations from women. And we don't have such a huge historical record of that happening. But we do know, unless you argue the point, we do know that there's tons of unreported rape out there. 
that that happens all the time. Like, I guess I was going to ask you if you th- if you still think we were wrong to run the story, but but um, no, actually, I don't. Though I still have my reservations about. You know, either it was good enough to run earlier before Gameshi posted his Facebook post, yeah, or it wasn't. And it's the same thing with the Rob Ford story, you may remember, which the star broke, which totally, was totally. Robin Doolittle, now with the Globe, is at a party. Uh, they hear about the Gawker going with it. Uh, then they decide they're going to go with Forget it. about hearing it. It was after Gawker, actually. Yeah, I, Gawker had gone with it. Yeah. Quite right. I, I, I can so, tell the same. Like, if a reporter, if they saw with their own eyes yes. that footage. If you can't report what you see with your own eyes. I agree. Then we're starting off in a better place than Who I thought knew? we were. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let's but these are, these are important questions to talk about anyway because they're decisions that – organizations make or that reporters make like me. And I i mean, I am wrong so often, uh, as I hope people will admit they're wrong in the same business. So, Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear you saying that now, and I hear you saying that you think your subsequent columns on Gameshi sort of communicated that. I got to tell you, working with those sources, their big fear was that this would happen and they wouldn't be believed. And there was a moment after that first story came out before subsequent women went on the record where it seemed like he had 100,000 people supporting him. He had high-profile members of the press, such as yourself, supporting him. And those I women was felt- never supporting him. When you say that he's a victim of bullying, this, he's, he's, he's the target of a lynching and this is McCarthyism, it sounds like you're supporting him. Well, maybe. Uh, and and I, if you're one of the accusers, you know, you put yourself in those shoes. Yeah, yeah, sure. I understand that. But I, I mean, I, I don't like to see women behaving in a timid way. I mean, I think if— What do you mean by that? Well, I think that we are fully capable human beings. I think if somebody touches you inappropriately, inappropriately or— sexually assaults you, then you call him on it. And you call him on it not by going to the Wild West that is the Internet. You call the police. You get a rape kit kit done if that's what is required. You give a statement, etc. I mean, those systems, I know people don't like them, and they're tough, but they work. They don't work. The, they do work. The vast majority of sexual assault allegations, if you, th- there's a lot of research done. You can look at how we go from the claim to the conviction and how many people have to go through that horrific process. It's how- not that horrific either. It's horrific sometimes. I've actually covered sexual assault trials. One of the ones that I covered was a very famous one or infamous one involving a hockey coach named David Frost. Uh-huh. The women there who testified, I believed – Absolutely. And I said so. So did all the other reporters who were covering it. The man was acquitted and it was the right result. I mean, you can have both things you, because this is the courts. This is law. It's different. You have to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that somebody is guilty. That's what happens in the courts, and it's not specific to sexual assault and rape. That's right. People who are guilty get off all the time because we have a very high standard for conviction. As we should. This is not the court. This is public opinion. This is a conversation on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we're free to discuss. Oh, no, no. Of course we're free to discuss, but I'm telling you that I am much more comfortable in the place where there are rules than in the place where there are no rules. You're not always comfortable with that place. No, no. I'm very critical of that With the Steph Guthrie story, you called it – I mean, that's a story where a woman – Came forward, her, used her own name, yep. put herself Absolutely. In, under extreme scrutiny, yep. and the court said, the Crown said, yeah, we find this legitimate enough to lay charges. Yes. And there's a trial, yes. and you said that this is a, a mockery, that this is— uh, Well, I also said, what a wonderful, bright, 
tough young woman Steph Guthrie is. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, don't say yeah like it was something casual. I did it at some length. I think she is all of that. I have a lot of admiration for her. She is also a feminist, and there's nothing wrong with being a feminist. I'm a feminist too. But she is a, an activist feminist with a bit of an agenda, I think. I mean, her— Of course a feminist has an agenda. No, no. But these are things that weigh in in your credibility in, in a courtroom. Yeah. That's all. He was never—the the, the, the investigating officer who laid the charge testified, and he testified he could not find one instance where Greg Elliott, Gregory Elliott yeah. had either threatened or sexually said anything sexually inappropriate to Steph Guthrie. But so that's not the charge. No, no, the, but the charge is criminal harassment, yeah. right, via Twitter. Yeah. And the definition of harassment is is what she blocked him. He he was creepy sometimes. I quite I quite grant you, and I gave an example of that in one of my columns. Anyway, you you were I'm not. You ask a question. <laughs> I, I don't want to just ramble on here. <laughs> I think that your praise of Steph Guthrie is, was felt totally legitimate. I, I, I it sense, was totally legitimate. Look, I think you were you're curious about her. I, I like to read you because I believe, in a way that I don't, with a lot of columnists that you're grouped with. I think that you care about the stuff you write about, and you do the footwork. You're there, and you show up, and and I, I buy your curiosity. But there, are, but I have big problems with some of the. C'est la vie, man. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about it. I mean, so so in the Steph Guthrie case, I share your concerns about that. I mean, I think that this is a case where where we're going to find out where the line is on harassment. And to tell people who don't know this is so Steph Guthrie had a falling out in her online uh, activism. This guy, Gregory Elliott, was, I guess, an ally for some time. They had a falling out, at which point she blocked him on Twitter. And as I understand the charges, he sent copious amounts of obsessive harassing tweets where he tweeted at the complainants. He sent subtweets at the complainants. He monitored their feeds. He did this knowing that they blocked him, that they did not want contact with him. So he, he continued to kind of call them out and dog them. And the question that you're asking, which is a great question, is where do we draw the line between disagreeing with someone online yeah. in a public forum and harassing them? And the Crown has said, well, we feel that this has crossed the line into harassment enough that we're going to lay charges. And the court said, well, we're going to hear this. So what you wrote was – and you've written many columns about this. And in, I covered it. And in day. some of your columns, you got into more depth about what Gregory, Gregory Allen Elliott actually did. Yes. But in one column that blew up, all you said about his actions was that his chief sin appears to be that he dared to disagree with two, two young feminists and political activists. And in that column, if I read that column and nothing else that you wrote – I would have no idea that this guy was relentlessly, relentlessly going after them online. And there was a consequence to that column. I did a video with Steph Guthrie a couple of years ago, and it, it was sitting dormant on YouTube. Nobody watched it or commented on it for like a year. And the day that you posted that, that piece where a casual reader would have no idea what these harassment charges were actually based on, the comment section of that video on YouTube – was overrun with violent rape and death threats directed at, at Steph Guthrie, which, which certainly, certainly crossed the line into criminal threats. Good. I hope somebody follows up with it. Well, there are, you know, anonymous threats on YouTube, so yeah. I, I doubt very much yeah. that anyone did. That column of yours became a rallying point for people who felt that feminism has gone too far and that men are being th thrown into court for daring to disagree. Reading that column, I would have no opportunity to know what the guy actually did. Well, I, I mean, first of all, it, I get at most a thousand words a day. So I can't recap in every column 
every nuance of the thing. So I have to give my readers some credit that if they're interested in a case, they'll follow me and they'll understand it. And that's a bit the same defense, if you like, that I offer with the with the Gameshi thing. You know, yeah, I mean. My, doesn't your opinion develop as stories change and the world changes? Mine does. Uh, I'm not afraid to get it wrong or whatever. And it's not even getting it wrong. I, I just, I guess it's the evolution of my opinion. So maybe you're right. Maybe somebody could read that and not have any idea what the case is all about. But I can't recap three months worth of a case in every single column. And, you know, I'm not... I didn't, I wasn't aware, speaking of surprises, until you said that this caused a huge blow up and became a rallying cry for, I presume you mean men's rights movement. Yeah, the MRA guys got all up in arms about it. Who, of whom I am very suspicious, and yeah. I don't follow them and I don't monitor them, so I didn't realize it had become a, a great uh, sort of rallying point for them. But I can't control how people react. I can only control what I write. And I, yeah, I, look, I'm not nitpicking here because it's a trend where I read your recent column about you profiled this woman who's been who spent over 10 years in prison yeah. as an anti-abortion protester. And she's out there with her placard at the clinics by herself yeah. getting thrown into, into jail again and again and again. And I know where I stand on that issue. I know that I'm pro-choice. It doesn't mean that I'm not interested in this person who is so compelled by her convictions that she – really for speech, has spent 10 years in— And seven months. And seven months in prison. That is a totally fascinating story, and you pursue it as a freedom of speech issue. But there's a voice missing in that piece. How does it feel to walk past her on your way to having an abortion? Or how does she feel about the people who have to walk past her? It's just—that side of it is just not in there. Well, again, I mean, I'm not writing a, a history of the abortion movement in Canada or the pro-choice movement. I personally am wildly pro-choice, but I think that I don't want – I'm an absolutist, I guess. As a contrarian, you're in this really strange space because the contrarian positions you take, which incite such a strong reaction, you're not totally out on some independent limb. I mean, when you say – that you argue that Nigel Wright on the stand is actually a really principled guy. And, and In a funny, pragmatic way. <laughs> or that the boy who took a picture of himself having sex with Retea Parsons while she was vomiting drunk. It was another boy who took a picture of him. Oh, I'm sorry, who shared the picture yes. of himself, that that boy is brave and courageous. Well, I thought he was because he didn't, he didn't think. He maintains, of course, that it was consensual sex, albeit with a drunk young woman who was at some points vomiting. Um, so I, Which might not be under legal terms consensual. No, no, I understand that. I'm, but what I admired was that the easier thing that day in court to sort of get people off his back, if you like, the, the great lynch mob out there, would have been to – he did apologize for having – now, did he say – I'm sorry. I'm mixing the two up. I can't remember if he, he – said that he takes responsibility for sharing the picture, but he takes okay. no responsibility for her killing herself. Well, and, you know, the, the, it wasn't a straight line. I think suicide is always a very complicated business. Totally. You don't – and she didn't – Took a lot didn't. of people 
She didn't go from A to B. She had to be failed by a lot of different people. Yes. And a culture, I think, for that that to be the consequence. I agree. It doesn't render it less tragic, but it renders it less all of it his fault. I'm trying to kind of take a bird's eye view of these positions you take. Yeah, I know. You know, police carding is is invaluable. You know, Nigel Wright is a man of deep principle. Toronto is a city of sissy men who hug. Gameshi is a victim. That boy is brave and courageous. As a whole— they're not really contrarian positions if you look at who they support. Like Nigel Wright is a principled man, and this and the, and, and you've also suggested that the Duffy trial is kind of overblown. That's that's what Stephen Harper says. You know, I mean, there there's a whole community that rallied around those boys. So you're often which boys? Those boys uh, was a very tiny community. Most of the people rallied around appropriately. So the dead girl. I, I, it feels to me like you're usually reacting to what the media is saying. Sometimes I am, sure. Sometimes I'm doing what you do in a way. What I like about your work as opposed to, you know, there was a piece in Vice recently, why do uh, so many of Canada's female columnists write like they hate women, where you were grouped with Margaret Wente and, and, and Barbara Kay. And you're often mentioned in, in, in the same breath as Barbara Kay, Barbara Emile, Margaret Wente, and Christy Blatchford. The difference to me is that they strike me as ideologues. And they're closed-minded, I think, and they're just repeating the same talking points again and again. And you are a reporter who is on stories. That is, to me, the difference, too, is that, you know, I I, I do it sometimes uh, because, you know, it's a busy world. Sometimes I write out of my ass. But most of the time, and certainly this is how I prefer to write, I'm actually covering something. And then I write. But there is an ideology to these positions you take. If I take them as a whole, there there is. I don't see it, but You write about women's issues a lot. You think? Yeah. I think so. Well, I I mean, I don't know. I think if you looked over my – I mean, maybe I do. Uh, You're the reader, not me. I'm just the producer. So um, I don't ever look – I told you at what I do. I can't remember, honestly, what I wrote about last week. Yeah. You know, it's just too much, and I've done it for so long that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember. That doesn't mean it isn't important to me. But I would bet that if you looked at what I covered last year, you would find that really I don't write about women's issues very much. When the Supreme Court issued a report saying that they found there to be, like, rampant culture of sexism in the military. That wasn't the Supreme Court. That was a former Supreme Court judge. Thank you. I'm and sorry for And it is an appalling frigging report. Which the military essentially has accepted as true. Sure. They did. And right. that was their mistake. What I mean, frankly, The evidence that you offered in response is that you've spent a lot of time around the military and you often are the most salty language, crude person yeah, around. That is, that's, the, that's not the evidence. The evidence, the only evidence I have is that I have spent a fair bit of time with soldiers. And... The evidence isn't that I swear more than they do. The evidence is, like any other group of Canadians, only ones I particularly like, I did not see and I do not think that you can hide a completely misogynist, poisonous culture. I think it's it's pretty evident. Wouldn't you have to be a young woman coming up through the ranks to say that with any authority? No, I, I don't. I mean, I think they're legitimate voices, obviously, but I don't know. I don't. Do you have to have cancer to know what it's like to be sick? I don't think so. I think you have to do more than hang out with a lot of soldiers as a journalist who, and they know that there's a journalist among them. Maybe. I think you're, I mean, and I appreciate why you're doing it, but you're, you're simplifying in some cases, you know, what I've said. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm summarizing. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, sure. you know, and I appreciate that you're, you're always on a news story. You don't remember what you wrote, but what we're trying to do is look at it all. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, like I, I kind of try to understand you as, and I, and I, I wonder if I'm situating you correctly. Like you have, a, I think, 
a consistent critique of feminist arguments that we see popping up in the culture. And you yourself um, entered journalism at an interesting time as a woman. And I think that things have changed dr- drastically. And like, like is, this, is this wildly off base? Like, I think it used to be that when women – at a certain wave of feminism, when women wanted to do serious journalism, the standards were, OK, if you can hack it in this boy's culture. Yeah, I think that's probably true. We're not going to make any special concessions for you, but you're allowed in. Yep. And the conversation, I think, has shifted from are women allowed in and allowed to compete to, well, you know what? Why is it about succeeding on the terms of a man's world? Maybe the terms need to change. Yeah. No, I understand that that's how the conversation has shifted. It probably – maybe it will make it easier for other women. I hope it does. Uh, But I'm not convinced that either – I'm not convinced that both of those things aren't a bit of an extreme position. In other words – When I started in 1973 or 72 and I was expected to fit in, and I did, or say if I was starting out now and I would expect them to adjust to me. I I think both are a a little bit unrealistic. I think somewhere in the middle is the ideal thing where where you're not going to get your ass grabbed by or somebody's going to be making crude remarks in front of you. But neither should everybody have to be delicate and sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm wondering if it's uh, an appropriate characterization to say you know, that a generation of women who had to tough it out and succeed on men's terms are sort of turning it on women today and saying, suck it up. You got to tough it out no, too. No, I don't, I don't think so. At least I, speaking only for myself, I don't feel that. I, I mean, and I, I didn't – frankly, it wasn't a question of toughing it out. Not every woman is going to want to work in a – you know, predominantly male environment. Not every woman's going to want to be a soldier. Not every woman's going to want to be a sports reporter. I think for those who want to do it, that's fine. But I don't think you need affirmative action to make sure that 50% of sports reporters are female or 50% of any group No, are no, female. we're not talking about that. No, no, but I mean, in a way we are. So it wasn't so hard back in the day is what I'm trying to say. A lot of what you are suggesting in your opinions, not the coverage, but the, the positions you take are people are making a fuss and they don't need to be. Well, I'm not sure I think the job of a journalist is to do either thing. I mean, I don't think I should comfort, you know, those in power and I don't think I should comfort necessarily those who aren't. I'm do you think not. you should give a voice to people who are having a tough time? I mean, you know. Well, of course. And I, I think if, you know, if you were to look over my entire career, I, would, I, I have done that. Uh, not always, certainly. And not every time have I taken the correct stance. But yeah, sure. How about Linda Gibbons, the woman you mentioned, the, the pro-life protester? Uh, nobody gave her much of a voice until I spoke. Why? She's done 10 years and seven months in jail. Yeah. That's certainly comforting the afflicted. Just because I, I disagree with her opinion, does it mean I shouldn't do it? No, of course it doesn't. That's fair enough. Uh, I mean, maybe even more so that you don't agree with her. It's interesting to look at this in totality. I mean, you are still a reporter and other people, you know, I mentioned some of them. It's easier in a lot of ways to just be a columnist or an, an opinion. Well, I'm not smart enough. And I'm not being cute with you. I'm not a deep thinker, and I'm not smart enough to consistently write out of my ass. Both in choosing to continue to be a reporter and not just write out of your ass, but also in what you choose to report. Because, you know, you're a very high-profile reporter slash columnist. You could report on whatever you want. You seem to be drawn to murder and rape and— Well, that is my beat. I do have a specialty, and my specialty is court reporting. 
that's your specialty, but I mean, there's there's a choice in there too, right? Well, sure, but I mean, I was hired by the National Post uh, whenever it was four years ago as a court reporter. Yeah, court well, columnist. Sorry. Right. I guess I think that if you wanted to cover something differently, sure, somebody I would probably get, could. You probably yeah, could. Yeah, no, no. So there's an element of choice in there, certainly. I like the courtroom. You write about extremities of human behavior, ex- extreme crimes, and you take what some people consider to be extreme positions. Is this, is this am I like like a shrink here, or is this not just? Um, well, I, I don't know what the— Like wildly extrapolating here. No, no. I, I mean, you're, you're right. I certainly choose— But, I, you know, if you're going to cover the courts, the criminal courts, the thing that is the most egregious crime is murder. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to cover that. And the second sort of factor that weighs into it are the— What's going to be interesting to people? What are people maybe going to want to read about? Uh, you know— uh, uh, Come on. Come on. You're not looking for trouble. No, I'm certainly not looking for trouble. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure I have done it, but I can't remember when I did it, if I did it. Most of the time, I'd say the great majority of the time, what I write is something that I care about, I believe in, or I've covered. I mean, or all three, preferably. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't think I'm a contrarian who takes a contrarian position to incite the web or to get people angry at me or reading me or anything like that. Honestly, I don't. I mean, it may be that by my choices, that's what happens, but I don't choose them for that reason. I mean, what did Ken Finkelman say? He was slagging you on, on Gameshi's show way back when. He said, you, you run towards if a baby is drowned or burned, that's, you're, you're all over it. And then- ah, you, you said Finkelman was on the Gameshi show? Yeah. I used the Gameshi show as a narcotic. The only time I've ever listened to him was when I was covering the Shafia trial in Kingston. And I, it was a three-month-long trial. That's the family who were killed by their brother and uh, father. You may remember all girls. Yeah. That's another example of my extreme anti-feminism, I suppose, that I should go and cover a case where four women were killed by two Stone Age men from Afghanistan. Anyway, um, I was living in Kingston in a little rented house, and if I couldn't get to sleep, I would turn on CBC and hear the replay of Gameshi's show in the morning. He was so sleep-inducing, I never heard more than 30 seconds of it, and I was in the zone. Yeah. Isn't that funny? He <laughs> loves you. All these people, when the story first broke, are saying, oh, my God, I loved that show. He was so great. I have no idea. He put me to sleep. Well, you're going to go cover that trial, so get ready for— Yes, uh, I am. What's the contrarian position on that? You haven't covered it yet. You don't know. I don't know, uh, but I, I know his lawyer, and he has probably, in every sense of the word, the hottest lawyer in the country. She is—Marie Hannon is, you know— she is ferocious. She was the lawyer for David Frost in yeah. the earlier sex assault case that I mentioned, and uh, she is a formidable lawyer. When you talk about these cases, my knowledge that for the uh, over 20 allegations of pretty serious things, uh, only a few of those have resulted in criminal charges. Well, uh, yeah, I think he's facing four counts of sexual assault in the first trial and then a separate one in the yeah. summer that, that year. Like all of these cases, you're often dealing with things that happened a long time ago and one person's word against the other. Which is why it's good to report contemporaneously. And he's going to, in the total possibility that he is found to be not guilty, he's going to consider himself exonerated. And a lot of people are going to think that this whole thing was was the McCarthyist witch hunt. I don't think anybody would think that. But I think, you know, it's all very well and good to bemoan the 
high standards of proof in the courts and, you know, the fact that people sometimes who are guilty get off, but when it's you who is the accused, you'll be awfully glad for the presumption of innocence and for the fact that you will not be sent to prison or whatever the punishment is unless the Crown has proven it beyond a reasonable doubt. I think these are very comforting concepts when it's you, me, who is the accused. Yeah, I I don't argue with that. I guess... I guess I feel like what I'm frustrated about in this conversation is the court of public opinion is the only court that you and I argue in. When I think back on my sources in that story and their reluctance to come forward and and everything that it took to get them to – and they did come forward. They didn't use their names and I don't blame them for that. But they did come forward. I think that they did something that was incredibly brave and courageous and I know the impact it had on their lives. What they were afraid of was the court of popular opinion. They saw what happened – to somebody who made a far lesser allegation about Gameshi Online. And these days, the way that a person can be harangued and threatened and harassed and the way that that can follow them through their entire lives, that was as real a threat as whatever might happen in a courtroom. And we have a position in the press of And it's something that you do all the time. If you feel like things are going too much one way, you try to offer, you know, you put your finger on the scale and say, what about this? What about this other way of looking at it? We've gone too far. Shouldn't we? And and without those, without their bravery, the criminal charges never would have happened, right? That this shouldn't have happened in the press. It should happen in a court. It never would have gone to court if that story hadn't come out. But that isn't necessarily the only way it could have. What could have happened is that when he allegedly – I'm still going to use the word alleged because – You know, when he hit, assaulted, beat up these women, had they gone in a contemporaneous way to the police, that's the way it also could have unfolded. It it doesn't have – I don't disagree with you that your story gave courage or heart or impetus for those women and then from those women to other women and ultimately we got the criminal charges. But, of course, if any one of them had gone on their own, on her own – to the police in the first instance, and I appreciate, because it's Gameshi, it would have been a high-profile, beloved figure, apparently, that it would have been even more complicated. But I know a couple of cops on the sex assault uh, squad. I can't imagine they would have been met with anything other than, you know, respect. Christy, we don't even have the time for me to, like, like, to get into what a manipulative abusive relationship where there's the threat of blackmail, where there's mindfuckery. Like to get into every reason why that didn't happen is a conversation that would take fair, us. Fair enough. But, 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 but don't then don't say that couldn't have happened. It could have happened. I mean, I, I'm saying these are complicated issues. I'm sorry. The, the guy, it's very possible he was up to this for decades. Yeah. Who's saying he's not? And I'm not saying that. nobody did what you're suggesting. Were all of those people cowards were all of those people no isn't it doesn't it bother from a justice point of view the culture the legal all of it combines into a framework where it's possible we're not going to say that but it's possible that he was doing that and beating the shit out of women for decades without that lever being pulled shouldn't our focus in the press be on why the hell don't women feel comfortable pulling that lever and when we write about when they do come forward in the press doesn't that have an impact on whether or not they come forward? And what responsibility do we take for that? I don't disagree. These are all good questions. But, uh, I mean, I guess my view is of women, and not unsympathetically, 
But I think we are tougher than that. I think women can and should act and complain. I do. So it in a contemporaneous way. And you know why I say contemporaneous? Because then there's more evidence. The mem- people's memories are better. Everything can work better. If you're raped today, complain tomorrow. You know. So yes, I, I know it's complicated. I know people were scared. I mean, they were scared in part because the CBC created this mythology around the guy. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a misogynist, poisonous workplace, don't talk about the military. Talk about the CBC. We can talk about both. But it's clear to me that that was the way it was. And I know individually some young women, you know, either complained to the boss or uh, and were told blowing off uh, and did the right thing. I mean, within Catherine Burrell complained. Yeah, and within that spectrum, there are women who complained. I agree, and good for them. But wh- what's the answer? I mean, the answer is the CBC management should have done something about it, right? I think it's a lot like the Retea Parsons case. It takes a lot of people looking the other way and doing the wrong thing. It takes a whole. This is what. When people say rape culture, this is what they're talking about, is that it takes – it's it's collective guilt. And yes, it's it, it, maybe you can't – I mean with Kamesha, you can point a finger and, and lay blame. But with a lot of these cases of why it was overlooked and how things were allowed to get so bad, it takes it takes a whole culture to, to allow these things to happen and happen again and happen again. And we, we can do something about the culture. Well, sure. And I, I, I think the, the discussion all of this generates probably will do something for the culture, probably will make it better and will make it easier, et cetera, for women to come forward. But I don't think you should absolve. And I, I'm not – I don't think you can absolve the critical players. My friend Tracy Nesley, I, I quote this all the time, but I don't like to quote without attribution, know who to be mad at. In the Retea Parsons case, you'd be mad at the boys, be mad at the – maybe at the parents, be mad at the school, be mad at whoever. In Gameshi, be mad at Gameshi first. Be mad at the people who enabled Gameshi. Be mad at the CBC brass for not doing enough. So you have rings, you triage your collective guilt. I am not as guilty in the the Gameshi thing, for instance, as the guy to whom – Gameshi reported. Do you know what I'm saying? It's it's just a bit easy to say we're all guilty and we all have to change it. No, it's hard to say that. I mean, I was there when Catherine Burrell, my friend, was harassed by him and I didn't do anything. It's hard to say. That's not easy. No, I, I'm, well, you're right. I didn't know you were there. I mean... Christy, I, I, I really appreciate you being— I'm sorry. It's been so frustrating for you. I, look, you're my guest here, and, and I, uh, that means something to me, and I really do appreciate that you came here for this conversation. I hope you come back again. Yeah, absolutely. That's your Canada Land. If you like it, you can get it ad-free for 5 bucks a month in moments by going to canadaland.com slash join or just clicking on the show notes. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter. You'll be glad when you do. This episode was originally produced by Katie Jensen. Our producer this week is Gabe Knox. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by So Cold. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like Canada Land, please support it. <laughs>